Do you, do you guys know if you're a square or a rectangle? How do we know this? What's the... You, you have to stand and put stretch outstretch your arms and you compare your height to your arm width. And, and oh. some people are squares and some people are rectangles. Oh, so if your arms are the same distance as your... Then yeah. you're square. Yeah. You'd have to have really long arms if you were tall or not. People do. Yeah. I, I think it's actually the arms are often longer. They're the longer part of the rectangle. I've been told I'm a square person sometimes. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Shall we do a podcast instead? Let's podcast. All right. Let's do it. Okay. Well, welcome, listeners, to another episode of Reimagining Work from Within. Today is a reunion, maybe the first comeback we've seen so far on the podcast, as we ha are in the esteemed company of Burke Pemberton again, and Jeff is with me too. And we're talking self-managed systems again. I think last time out, we talked about why we chose them for our respective businesses, why we love them, why we struggle with them, what the philosophies are behind them that we have adopted and tried to make work in our, in our businesses. And today we're going to shift focus just a little bit to talk about what growth inside a self-managed system really looks and feels like. But we'll come back to that in a minute. For now, we're going to welcome you, Burke. Burke, for those of you who don't recall from the first episode is the CFO of Stoke. Stoke spends its time reimagining the built environment in service of a radically better world. And Burke spends a lot of his time reimagining the environment inside that business for a radically better way of it working. And I think that's the journey we've been on with you, Burke, for a few years now. But welcome back. How are you? Thanks How's your Thursday? Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, it's going good so far. We're we're actually I'm in San Francisco filming. The, the video for our five-year strategy launch, which you guys were instrumental in helping us with. So we're, we're kind of completing that process and I'm super excited to be here and be your first Boomerang guest. I did not realize that. It's quite an honor. It sure is. And we're very excited for the premiere of your, the red carpet premiere of Stokes five-year strategy coming to a picture house near you soon. Who's playing you in the film, Burke? If you were to choose any actor to it's play. It's Rob Lowe. It's, I get that a lot. Which era, Rob Lowe? That was quick. Yeah, kind of the White House. You know, when he was in the White House. Time Seaborn? Yeah. yeah. Peak Rob Lowe. People yeah. stop me on the street and they're like, you know. Are, is it you? Yes, it's me. Exceptional choice. I would say, <laughs> yeah, we haven't seen the two of you in the room together. In fact, we don't know if you're act Rob Lowe actual. It's true. Yeah, keep you guessing. Wow, if we could break that news here today, that would really be something. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> Obviously, Jeff is the other person on the sofa, also in San Francisco, but a different bit. How are you today, I can Jeff? I can sense Rob Lowe's aura over there, but he's not <laughs> in my immediate vicinity, vicinity. Hi, everyone. Good to be here. All right. Jeff and I have swapped seats for this one. I'm going to be your guide today. And Jeff and Burke are going to offer you their wisdoms around self-managed systems for growth. And if it feels like Groundhog Day, because here they both are back in their seats, it's because it is Groundhog Day 
today, would you believe, I know, Jeff, that this is a concept, a film concept that you are not a fan of. It's the worst movie. Bill Murray and Andy McDowell's finest efforts. I can't, I just can't reconcile it. I really feel that there's something wrong with that film. And I would like us to not have that same energy, Burke. We're not going to loop over and over and over the same plot and storylines. We have a compelling narrative to tell today. So I feel like we can do something that's a little bit better than, than Bill Murray and Annie McDowell. But let's yeah. see how we do. I, I yeah. do have to say, I, I got a chance to watch the video of Punxsutawney Phil seeing his shadow this morning. Mm-hmm. And it really is one of our finest traditions in America, if not the finest. So I felt that it was necessary to bone up a little bit on this, obviously to deepen my cultural understanding of North Americans. And I noticed that we have six more weeks of winter ahead oh, of us. Oh, that was what Phil, so that does that mean he Phil saw his saw shadow? saw his shadow. Correct. Yeah, he it, saw his shadow. terrifying. And we're doomed. A crack of light at the end of the tunnel in Canada, there was an, not a consensus between the Canadian groundhogs. Actually, Fred La Marmotte in Quebec died before he was able to come out of his burrow. So that was a bit of an anticlimax. <laughs> I don't know what that means for the context of winter for the rest. It's just going to last the rest of the year or something. But yeah, the Canadian groundhogs are split. So at least here in Vancouver, we can decide how we how much longer we think winter's going to last but except there you go from north of, of course the canadian groundhogs require consensus to decide if winter's going to continue or not yeah, absolutely it's very canadian or consensus or death <laughs> literally <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about decision making later let's throw that one into the ring too can we i want to get that tattoo <laughs> <laughs> but i think there's something to this projection of what's happening. How long is winter going to last? We're here today to talk about growth, more about sort of how we inspire and shape and hold accountability for personal growth and people growing inside organizations, inside self-managed organizations as a way of helping organizations grow. But we're sitting in a bit of an interesting place here in the start of February, 2023, when we think about growth and I wonder, Jeff, while we're on the subject of the groundhog, I'd like you to be our business groundhog, business growth groundhog for a moment and emerge from your burrow and tell us what you see about how much longer this winter, from a business context, feels like it's going to extend. We've been through pandemic, we're talking recession, we've had supply chain problems. We're here to talk about growth. What are you hearing out there that might provide some context for how people are thinking about growth right now. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're at a little bit of a weird sort of paradox right now where the messages that we're getting in the media are very much around scarcity, especially coming from the tech sector. There's not enough, not enough funding, too many people enroll, so we've got to cut them down, not enough profit, although that isn't exactly the case if we look under the skin. And that possibly recession is looming, whilst at the same time hearing from the government in the U.S. that that is not the case at all, that there is growth and that jobs continue to grow. So there's a lot of mixed messaging going on. And I think putting that in the context of last year, where we were still in the middle of the great resignation, where from a personal growth side of things, you had a lot of people saying, 
actually, you know what? This isn't my jam anymore. I want to go off and do something that's more meaningful, more purposeful for me. And maybe this late stage capitalism gig that I've signed up for isn't quite my bag. And, and I think there's a little bit of a coming together of those two forces around what does it actually mean to grow our business in this time of shifting out of the pandemic and, and continued uncertainty? And at a time when people are really sitting there thinking, what is it that I really want to do with my, with my world, with myself? And I, I'm mm -hmm. speaking there from a place of sort of the corporate privilege, because I think there's still a, a very real situation in, in the world around, there's some people that just have to take the job that they're in, right? And so if you're in manufacturing, you're in hospitality, where are those places for you to grow? And I think there's also a wake-up call that we're seeing in those in those industries where actually maybe these are places that people really love to work and could grow in ways that we've never imagined it before. So mm. although I've never been really good at predictions, my most famous worst one was I went to see the band Keen once when I was much younger and I walked out saying this band will never go anywhere. And of course, I was fu fundamentally wrong. Apart from that, I have, I'm not really wrong about most things. But I would say this year is a real inflection point of that coming together of what is needed to grow the business and what is needed to grow as an individual. And of course, wouldn't it be great if those two things were lovingly connected? It sure would. And Burke, I know because we've been there with you a little bit that that connection is happening and is continuing to happen at Stoke. But I think maybe you're feeling both of those sides that Jeff's talking about. Maybe just tell us a bit about where, where are you finding yourself right now in that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it really depends on what time of day you ask me or what day <laughs> at all, because it, it just, it, it's just such a, a roller coaster. This is maybe our fourth economic downturn as an organization, but I don't even know if we're calling it that yet. And, you know, we, we definitely work with a lot of the tech sector folks and saw a lot of that kind of work go on hold, but then we're also seeing a, a bit of a, you know, change in the regulatory environment where, you know, the, and, and in the financial markets where, you know, sustainability has become a real priority. And what we are seeing is that while we have had some slowdowns, we're also seeing a lot of sort of new opportunities for growth within our sector around environmental and even social and governance advisory services that we can offer to our clients. And, and what Jeff, what you're saying really resonates with me because we, we've always sort of had this mantra that we try and find the place where people's passions and strengths align. And that seems to be changing in our, in our industry right now. And so while things do seem to be kind of shaking up, we really are focused on personal growth and professional growth and supporting and trying to find ways to support people in, in finding their new passions that are still what our clients are asking us to do for them. And so whether we're, you know, slowing down work or not, it's really hard to say at times, but we are remaining committed to, you know, sort of going where the market is going and growing people's capabilities so that when the time comes, you know, to be at a, a full economy again, I think we'll be ready for it. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that it's so interesting what happens in those moments of what sort of change to the way that we think about growth, personal growth inside organizations is needed to be able to really bring those two ideas together. And I know 
you're starting to pioneer something a little different from a from the old school cookie cutter systems that sort of say, look, here's a bunch of skills that are needed and here's the way you go get them to something that feels a lot more self-responsible and that people are starting to be encouraged to think about, well, what is my passion and my strength and how do I go get the skill and experience that I want to be able to bring that to bear in the, in the organization? And that feels a little, a little different to what's there. What's changing there for you, Burke? And then after that, Jeff, a little bit like, what, why is that so important at the moment? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, A, I'm really hoping you guys can help us answer that question in the long run. But I think what we're seeing is there's really no playbook for a lot of the types of work that we do and that our industry is evolving so rapidly and the landscape for what's needed to fight climate change and to, to really address carbon emissions and, and bring about social justice in the workplace and in the built environment that we work in, it's constantly changing. And we really are finding that we need to develop our own content. You know, you can't go out and get a degree in some of this stuff, you know, although some of our staff, you know, actually are starting to, to teach some of the work that we do in college curriculum because it just doesn't exist out there. And so we're trying to upskill our team members, but at the same time, we have to sort of develop our own content and figure out, you know, how do you, how do you know when somebody knows how to do what we do so that you know, it's at that level of quality that our clients demand and expect. And so that's, that's been a big shift in trying to just, mm. and, and the other thing is that the people um, that have been, you know, providing the sort of like sustainability checklist, like certification services that we've been offering for, you know, over a decade, those, those folks are wanting to learn new skills and develop new capabilities. And, you know, we don't, we want to have everybody on our team be able to grow with the market and with the organization. And so that's really our, our main focus right now. Mm. Yeah, I think it, we've kind of been schooled literally in a way of understanding what personal or professional growth looks like for us because we went to school. So we were taught in certain ways and that teaching we now know doesn't work for a lot of people. A lot of kids can't learn in certain ways, but there's it, the... The way to grow in many people's minds is I have to go and do something technical or I have to learn a skill through a course. And very few people are able to self-direct that learning. So to, to go to do a certification or a qualification is very easy because you're told this is when I'm when you finish this and you get the certification, we bestow upon you the knowledge of the wisdom of the sages and off you go. But what Burke has just positioned is that's not going to work for us. We can't go out and get qualified in things that don't have qualifications yet. And the world needs people to go out and learn and explore and innovate and be creative without someone else telling them this is the way it has to be done. So there's got to be some structure for people who need that to help guide learning and growth. And at the same time, there has to be self-responsibility and inner-directed learning. Otherwise, we aren't going to get there or they aren't going to get there. And I think the reality of it is most people aren't self-directed learners. And so I feel very strongly that one role that leaders and organizations have is to help people be self-directed learners and not fall back on the, on, the, on the sword of, oh, well, we'll just structure that all out for you. And here's the competency framework that's going to lead you towards 
self-actualization. It just isn't real. And I think that goes with any industry, because even if you think about something that's a real applied practice or something in manufacturing or in, in a hospitality environment, there's still elements of innovation that's needed in the business all the time for it to grow. And it takes people's passion to unleash that. So I think no matter what sector we're in, we need people who can tap into their passion and follow a path that leads them to find the skills that are most valuable for the business and most valuable for them. Yeah. And I can see the, the argument for that from the perspective of the business in terms of that's a way to start to bring some different kind of inspiration into people developing and to be able to meet some of those skills gaps that aren't easily met through traditional paths. But what's, what's in it for the individual around in terms of kind of taking accountability for your own development? What does the, the employee get out of that deal? Because a critical argument might be that you're just sort of relieving yourself of that responsibility as a business and putting it on them. But what's the benefit of that from their perspective? For the individual, there is an element of the control over one's own career. So the ability to go, I can grow and I can take the path I want for my career is very empowering. That has to come within a system that allows that kind of thinking, because quite often what happens in a very structured system is that you can only grow towards the height of the ceiling. So if there's already somebody above you and growth means in the context of the organization that I must take a level or status, then there is constantly a ceiling that we're bumping up. But if people saw growth in a way that was much more holistic and more breadth and depth, they will get more out of their growth because they'll actually see that all the strings of their bow make a wonderful, not only human being, but a very talented asset to the business. And so all the talents and passions that you have can go towards actually making the business a success as well as the joy that you feel for yourself. And so it does take the organization to be able to understand that and create the conditions for that. Because as we talked in our last episode on self-management, self-managed organizations are not free-for-alls. They still need guardrails and boundaries for people to play in. Creativity, great creativity has great boundaries. And so any organization needs to find the way to put those boundaries in place so that people can get the most out of their own development. Yeah. Burke, what are you noticing? I know you're holding that, those two ends, the, the need for Stoke to evolve the skill set that it has to follow that five-year strategy you talked about and the, the desire for people to be able to take responsibility for their growth and follow their own passions. What... What's inspired that for you and how's that going for you at the moment? Yeah, so I, I think that, you know, we're big fans of Daniel Pink. Drive was one of sort of the founding concepts of our business. And, you know, he talks a lot about the workers of the knowledge economy who, you know, have sort of debunked the myth that there's this magical place that they're going to arrive one day and they're going to have the title and the salary and the parking space. And, and that's, you know, there's some ladder to climb, you know, Jeff, you mentioned the ceiling, there is no ladder and, you know, what's in it for the workers is, and it's, it's gives them the opportunity to really find that intrinsic motivation by mastering their own passion, right. And doing things that make them happy and want to get out of bed in the morning, feeling like they're having an impact and a purpose in the world. And so just, you know, to your point, Jeff, like 
we have to create some guidelines around that because people don't just naturally, a lot of people don't naturally step into that self-guided space. And so the strategy provides the guidelines for people to work within, you know, and certainly we, we want to solicit everybody's input in developing the strategy. So we're, we're ensuring that it's, it's leading to the place that they all want to end up, but then there's not a prescriptive way for getting there. Um, so much as a support system for allowing others to be curious and to try new things and to discover their passion and not, and not try and tick a box just so they can say they got this title and that title, because that's not really what motivates the, the, the workers of the knowledge economy. That's not what makes us happy. Yeah. And I think with, it, it sounds like there's a lot there and as we seem to do on the subject of self-management so often is kind of go, that sounds awesome. People would want to do that, yet it's hard to have people really take responsibility and accountability for their own growth. What makes that hard? I mean, I think it's, it's human nature, especially in highly empathic individuals to, to sort of wonder like, how am I doing? Do you approve of me? Is, is everything I'm doing okay? And and that's beside the point of self-management, right? I mean, the whole point is like, you're not waiting for permission to do something. You, you want to seek out advice and get guidance from people around you with more experience and, and from people in a leadership position who might have been on the journey or a journey similar to the one you're at. But at the same time, people sort of need that coaxing and guiding to, to just take, take autonomy and run with it. And, and it's like, people feel like they need permission, but they really don't. That's not how to succeed in this type of system. So I think that's part of it. And then, and the other part of it, I put, would put back on the leadership of an organization and back to this idea of guidelines is if we don't provide clear guidelines or clear structures for how to create the guidelines that everybody can participate in, or if we don't communicate those structures clearly, then it's really hard for people to navigate that environment. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we got into that stuff quite a bit on our last conversation about this need for maybe even more regulations and guidelines in a self-managed structure so that people know what's expected and where they can kind of break the rules and where they can be autonomous. Yeah. I think the other hard is leaders aren't really used to succession planning because they are quite often just, or managers in particular, are just hiring for the moment or wanting people to get things done today. And actually, even if you start before somebody joins any organization, self-managed or not, and wondered, how is this person going to thrive and grow here? What, how are they going to activate their own potential? Can I see them as someone who can find their passion here and follow it through? And how is that going to add value to the business rather than just, can you tick all the boxes here on this job description? I think that would change the game as well, because quite often we're just looking at someone's past history rather than their potential and where they're going to go. And so if, if that was communicated very well to anyone stepping into a culture as well, that this is how we grow here, this is how we'll thrive, this is how the system works, do you think you want to unlearn maybe some of the things you've thought about personal growth before and step into this challenge? That's setting them up for success. And that often doesn't happen at recruitment stage. So we're often just perpetuating a system of, of non personal growth within the systems we have because they're just not set up that way. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that, that 
there's something around the system that has to change. And surprise, surprise, leaders hold some keys here. I'm curious about kind of what, what does that actually look like? What I hear, Jeff, in what you're saying is for there initially to be some clarity of expectation established about how we grow here and some contract or context that people understand to start with that looks a little different. What comes next? What else is needed? When you said leaders need to change, it did sort of trigger a thought in me that I think we we shouldn't gloss over is I don't think leaders are very good at talking about their own developmental path as well. And everybody thinks leaders are at the top of an organization, right? And so therefore they've reached the panacea. They don't have to grow anymore. And I think be, leaders being clear what developmental journey they're on and what is their personal growth plan and how are they planning to grow and demonstrating that it isn't moving up, it, that it's it could be a whole permutation of thing, things is one really critical piece of it. The textbook answer, of course, to this also is going to be, we need a great culture of feedback and a system of feedback within the organization so that people can understand whether or not they're growing or not. I think mm -hmm. that is true, but I think if we have a great system of knowing what success looks like within the organization so that I can understand where feedback fits in that context, it's not feedback just for the sake of feedback, then I think that is a step forward as well. So how can you be successful here? What are we growing for? Where are we going? All of those sort of clarity markers provide the elements that people will need in order to see this is what thriving looks like here. And then I know that I can set out on the path that I want to set out on. Mm -hmm. How's that landing with you, Beck? Yeah, it's, I think it, it really is landing well. And I think I just like build on that a little bit. It's like, you know, I think there's not, there's, for leaders who have really embraced their personal development journey, it's every day and every, everything that you're doing, every part of your life is part of that growth. Right. And, and I think a lot of people, you know, coming out of college are like, okay, did I pass the test? Did I check the, you know, the course curriculum off on the list? And that's just not how growth works in life. And so, you know, you guys have helped us set up our, our Stoke coaching process. And I mean, I was just having a conversation with somebody yesterday, you know, about how they could. You know, the, the thing that you hear the most from folks is that they just don't have time. And it's almost like they feel like they have to like set aside this hour to like watch that LinkedIn learning video or like, you know, read this book or blog post or whatever it is. And to me, you know, leaders are learning all the time. And, and my, my growth journey is incorporated into my day-to-day -day activities. And so I think it's really about giving folks that feedback of where do you want to be and, and how can you incorporate your strengths and your passions into your day-to-day -day work so that you can sort of start evolving those skills along your journey throughout the course of your day, throughout the course of your work, as opposed to having some prescriptive process that you're following. And so I think my job as a leader is to demonstrate that and, and to just help people feel like it's, it's not a zero sum game. It's not either, or it's both. And yeah. I think that that idea that there's a change in expectation around how we see growth, but also the the actual process of learning, is there something that we can make clear about that so that folk can see that it's not that preconceived idea that we could bring from school that you talked about, Jeff, and that actually growth comes from all places. And if there's a way to attach development with 
with work, with the actual work that we have passion for, wouldn't that be interesting? I know, Jeff, that's something you talk about a lot. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I mean, there's the, there's the traditional ratio of the 70-20-10 learning model, right? 70% of our learning is experiential. So you could then automatically say, well, I'm learning on the job all the time, right? Like at least 70% of my day, I might be doing my tasks. How am I... How what is what is in that that I'm learning? But I don't think we recognize, we don't stop and reflect to go like, okay, that's 70%, what did I learn today? And then the next 20% is social or peer-to-peer. We learn from mentors or coaches, and then only 10% of it would be formal, right? And so, and I think to Burke's point, like as you as you progress in the deepening of your art as a leader or as a creator or anything, you rely less and less and less on any formal learning. So that ratio probably is changing constantly all the time. And so I think as a leader or manager, it is your job to point out to people that they're learning every day. I mean, within, after almost everything we do, we do key learnings, right? And I always say that is a form of feedback. It's a, it's a time for people to process. So we've just had the meeting. We've gone through a coaching session or we've just had any form, formal ritual. Okay, let's stop, pause. What landed for you? What did you learn today? right? Or what was your key learning? And that helps people to process something. Now, did we go on our timesheets and fill that in as a learning moment? No, because we don't do timesheets. But if we did... Episode three. <laughs> preview. But if, but if we did, you should, because actually that was a learning moment and people don't do that. You know, like you're making dinner and it doesn't work so well. You did something wrong with the recipe and, and it turns out bad. Does do you see that as a learning moment or just that you screwed up dinner? Like we just don't go through life doing that. Yeah. I mean, it's, I remember when I used to work in the restaurant business, it's, it's like, you know, I had a, a great ownership group that I work with and, and the, the chef would say like, we don't, we don't experiment on our guests, you know, our, our guests aren't guinea pigs. And so I think to sort of push back on what you're, you're saying is like, when do you know that, that somebody has learned enough to be able to put them in front of a, a trusted client and, and, and consider them an expert at that learning. And I, and I think there's no like test that's taken or like, you know, certification or sign off point. And so it really is, I think, imperative upon the leaders or the mentors to, to be in constant feedback with individuals and constantly giving them the opportunity to get that experience so that they're not, you know, failing on the client driven work, but, but they're still getting that chance to learn and make mistakes along the way and getting the feedback they need until they, until they can sort of leave the nest and, and fly on their own. Right. I think that's so interesting. I think what comes up for me in that immediately is how do they get the learning without the experience? Like, does the experience get to come after the learning has happened? Or is the experience of being in front of that client and that customer, that actually where the learning takes place? And yeah, you got to get yourself into that space, but there's something in the, the leader's perspective that has to be able to let go enough, isn't there, for that opportunity to be made available. Yeah. And for the individual to sort of put themselves out there, I think, you know, think if, if a musician just stayed at home and played music in their living room and was technically very good and has never been in front of an audience and you then put them in front of the audience, they will be terrible because they don't understand how to play towards to, to the audience and understand the energy that happens. And so great musicians, of course, start in small places and then grow and finally some fill stadiums. 
right? Great music producers will stay at home and just noodle in their bedroom and that all works for them. So there's, it's sort of like the, the application of your talent, where do you want to go with it? And I think there's, there's a bit in there too, from a leadership management perspective is that some people lack that bravery or confidence to get them out of the bedroom and onto the stage. And, and I feel like there's a bit there that Burke was saying about like, when is the right time to fly and get you out of the nest so that actually you don't stand on stage and just crash because that may end your confidence forever. And leaders understanding how to do that is a talent and it's all part of how they coach. And that is really what leaders need to learn how to do, isn't it? Is to find that moment to get someone out of their heads and into the moment to shine. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really about like, being very clear, it's like, it's an apprenticeship model, right? Like giving folks the opportunity to learn by experiencing and by doing and by seeing how it's done expertly. And also having that person in the leadership role guarantee that there's no loss of quality on the, on the client experience side, right? And I, I actually think we started out this conversation talking about the changing in the market with the economy. One of the other changes that I think is really, I'm starting to speculate that it might be harmful to, you know, this, this sort of apprenticeship approach is this working remotely. You, you don't overhear conversations in the office anymore. You know, you don't just have those ad hoc conversations where it's like, Hey, I noticed you said that thing. And I just wanted to teach you about this and how we do that. And, and I, I think that's kind of lacking in this new hybrid remote work environment. And the imperative is so much more to be intentional about creating that learning environment from a leadership standpoint. Yeah, in the in the coaching world, there's something called supervision, which I think is quite an interesting mm. phrase, but actually would be quite nice for remote workers to kind of bring into play, which is you can't sit in on someone else's coaching session and watch it. So you have to trust that the coach is out there doing what they need to do, but it's the coach's responsibility to come back to their mentor or coach and say, this is what I did. This is what happened. And for the for the learning environment then to be like, okay, what was the output? What was the outcome? What did you notice? And how could you have done things differently? What are the permutations of difference there? And I think that's something that we haven't really built into the remote model because it's so great to have the autonomy of like, off you go, go and do things. But those things in isolation where we're not, remember we said 70% on the job, 20% social is how we're learning. We're missing that 20%, as Burke said. So that doesn't really work very well. So how could we in a remote world, if that is the way things are going, build in more rituals of supervision or connection or review that actually allow people to play back what they've done? And between peers, right? Not just between leaders and, and employees. There's something there around the concept of learning circles and giving people a space in which to process things together and share experience. There's something super valuable about that. It kind of leads me to think, I think, and I think this is something that comes up when we talk about self-responsibility and accountability a lot, which is the, the issue of equity in that space of some people being more prepared and more ready to step into taking accountability for their own growth and putting themselves forward for the opportunities they want and having the clarity of the goal they want to feel like. How do you account for, in a remote space or, or otherwise, folks with different levels of confidence to bring to their personal growth in a system where they're responsible for driving that forward for themselves? 
Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you just said it and you're right. It's not just the leader's responsibility. It's everyone's. And it's all about creating this culture of feedback where peers feel comfortable training their neighbor and constantly giving one another the feedback that that is also something that doesn't come naturally to people and they feel like they might need permission or maybe who am I to tell this other person what, what they did or said and how it affected me, right. Or how I thought it could have been different or, you know, prepared better. And, and that, that culture of critique that's done in a thoughtful way is, is essential, I think, to maybe solving this other 20% problem of the social engagement, especially in this new hybrid work environment. And, and I think if in the culture, it's recognized that different people have different learning needs and learn in different ways and are going to need more support or more investment, and that's encouraged at the leadership level, then the equity piece is solved for. I feel sometimes there's a little bit of like a myth in a system that certain types of people can't do certain things or certain types of people don't have confidence. And that's just simply not true. Like confidence doesn't, isn't born from someone necessarily from what privilege they come from. So, so even if we hold that belief, we're holding one that may not allow people to achieve their full potential because we've put upon them we bestowed upon them that they aren't good enough to begin with. So if I don't have confidence in someone, how are they going to have confidence in themselves? And, and it's every leader's job to believe in their people. So if I believe in you and you say to me, you need more help, it is my job to help you find that. It's not necessarily my job to help you do that for yourself. That might not be the best approach. Um, I think people are waking up to that. I think people are understanding if we want to get the best out of people, we have to find the best conditions for them to thrive. But maybe I'm a bit biased because I feel like our clients understand that. <laughs> and I feel like that's maybe not the norm across all industries, but I would like to encourage leaders to understand that any growth program that you have for your teams has to be based around the individual's needs. It cannot be a cookie cutter approach. It's just not going to work. You're wasting your time and money. So it's better off to find ways to be flexible and adaptable for others. And that is what will build equity in the system. Yeah. And I think drawing it back to finding ways to integrate that into the work. So the work is the place where passion is brought and developed and nurtured. It's not a side project to the work to get you ready for the work necessarily, because all of that can be where it, where it happens. So do we think, just to spitball around that one a little bit, are we, are we doing the wrong thing then when we have a system that says you have 20% of your time devoted to L&D, for example? Is that, is that setting up the wrong like, frame for people because it's automatically telling them that learning is done over here and the work is done over there. And remember, Google famously had the 20% for your own personal growth and development. I think they threw that away. I have a friend who just started there at Google. I said, do they still have that? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. So that's good for me to hear. Any Googlers on the, on the podcast, if that is still true, please write to me. I'd like to know. Yeah, I've, al I've always thought it was really important to set aside time for development. And maybe that's not a good thing. I mean, I think, think it's so? both. I think, I think your entire time of learning should not be in that 20 or 10% or whatever it is, but, but we do need that dedicated time 
to sit down and noodle around and try and experiment with things and, and do some research and read and, and, and follow up on, you know, key learnings or whatever it is. But I think that the, that we need to remember that it doesn't end at that 10 or 20% time that we need, we need that practicum in the real world that, that our learning doesn't stop at the end of, you know, our 10% L and D time that it goes into our day to day and to tie it back into the previous comment, it's, it's like, we need to constantly be seeking and giving feedback on how that learning is, is evolving and, and showing up in our day-to-day discipline. I think it's a question of valuing it, isn't it? Of what does it look like to put a value to people's learning? And in systems that measure time, that's one way of doing that. I think there's more Mm -hmm. interesting ways to play with how you value it culturally and through the rituals that you ingrain into each part of the day and the way that people work with each other so that it's a hundred percent of your time yeah. <laughs> that you're learning, not 20%, but that, that there's a value really assigned to people taking time to reflect and to absorb and internalize and grow as a result of the things that they're doing all the time. And that's a, that's a shift in the way that we contract ourselves around how we grow and learn, I think. So what I'm really taking from that, which is kind of sparking something for me, is like even if you thought of your your working day as 100% or whatnot, that if I signposted through my 70% of doing something, what, what was I learning through that? And I signposted in the 20% of peer-to-peer coaching that I was, was getting, and then I, I signposted that 10% when I was reading or doing something more formal. I personally would get a lot more out of it because I would, I would have that self-awareness of what I was actually getting from my day. And I would see that every day was growth rather than I only got the growth when I did that one thing. And you want to believe that a self-managed system is a place to do something like that because then people can take responsibility for how they balance those things in their world, in their day, the way they need to, in the way that works for their learning style. And other things, because they're not just responsible for their growth in a self-managed system. They're responsible for all aspects of the work they do within the structure and framework that they're operating in. But there's, I don't know, maybe there's a greater ability to bring that kind of thinking to bear. And maybe that's something that self-managed organizations have to donate to organizations that operate differently out there in terms of some experience that's been able to grow and develop more in those kind of places. What do you think, Birch? Yeah, I think, I think what, what I'm sort of hearing you say is that if there's not a practicum or there's not a formula that, that the other component of feedback that's so critical is recognition and saying, yes, you are doing it. You are now an expert at that (laughs) and telling each other and giving each other that positive reinforcement and feedback. And maybe that's what, I don't even know what signposting is. That's what that means. It's just, you know, calling attention to something and saying, call it up. This is, this, this is it. You're doing it. And, and so that, you know, it's not permission, it's acknowledgement that, that is so important as part of that critical feedback training. Bing, bing. All right. All right. We could probably keep talking about this, but we probably shouldn't. Not right now anyway. I think um, Burke's working towards the trilogy. I feel like he's looking for the within podcast franchise and that is just on, that is possible. Green light episode three right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, when do I get my within business card? That's what I want to know. 
10 episodes in, but a little way to go yet. <laughs> it's a coffee stamp. Part. <laughs> yes. Thank you both for your wisdom and insights there. That's been a really fun conversation to pick around. And I think one that's, that's really showing up out there in the world right now and reconciling the needs of the individual with the needs and constraints of the businesses are feeling right now. But, you know, our mantra certainly is that your business isn't going to grow if your people aren't. And when the going gets tough out there, how you get around helping people with the skills they need to be resilient to that and to be prepared for what comes on the other side of it. Inevitably, we will get to the other side of it. That's an exciting place to stand. What was your key learning, Burke? Key learning for today. I don't know. I mean, I think this is really great. I think the key learning for me is that I've been really trying to figure out like, when do you get the sash? I think you said, Jeff, or the, the merit badge or the stamp of approval that you've achieved something that's a new skill or whatever. And that's just not how it works anymore. You know, I've tried stop trying to put pegs in holes and put everything in a box and just, and just realize that again, like in this knowledge economy that we work in it, growth is constant. And you're never going to tick that box. And so it's really about sort of individuals giving one another feedback and recognition and, and sort of challenging one another to grow. Yeah. Key learning for me is I, I definitely hold the belief that people can find their passion, follow their path and off they can go and just collect those badges along the way. And I, I do think that People need support. We all need to support each other. And I do think it's leaders, the leader's role to, to help with that. That support comes in a myriad of different ways. And I think the thing that I'm taking away from this is how can I find those different ways without thinking there is just one way for someone and lean into those different ways at different times that gives me the satisfaction as a leader to know that I'm growing and that gives the individual the support that they need. So that really landed for me in that last bit of our conversation. Lori, what's your key learning? I think my key learning is that there's a lot of parts of self-management that feel quite hard to export into other places. And I feel like this is a really great early start for this. I think there's an inevitability around this in how most organizations work and that some of the practice and thinking that comes from generally attempting to give people a greater sense of responsibility for their own destiny. When it comes to growth and development, that's a really beautiful idea for us to keep working on and keep putting out there. Well said. And mostly that it's been a delight once again to have you both on the couch and to riff around this subject. And let's see what, what we might put before us next. But thank you. Thank both. you, Laurie. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed learning about growing in self-managed systems. Tune into our podcast twice a month for more episodes on what's happening in the culture and leadership space, what's on the mind of leaders committed to change, and other future of work content you crave. Reimagining Work from Within is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, guys. Love y'all.